Hey, Joe, tell our listeners what you told me about the all-natural B1 sports performance and wellness patch that's revolutionizing sports nutrition. Fans, there's no more sugary energy drinks or extra caffeine for an energy boost. The B1 patch is fast-acting, it's body heat activated, and proudly made here in the United States. It's a must-have if you're out on the golf course or on the go or just patching up your future major leaguers. Feel good about using this 100% all-natural B1 patch from USA National Patches. It's easy to apply, worn by over 200 athletes, and is the official patch of 78 Division I schools. And, Mike, I personally use the B1 patch for years, and they've made a, a real difference in my life. Visit buyb1.com and enter the code umpire to buy B1 and get one free. I really want you to try these, and I want all our listeners to try it. You'll be glad you did. It's the B1 patch. Don't compete without it. That's buyb1.com. Enter the code umpire and buy one and get one free. Welcome to 5460, the Joe West podcast. Featuring former Major League Baseball umpire Joe West. For six decades, no one has seen more baseball than Joe West. And now he shares those stories with you every week right here on the Podcast Heat Network. Now listen, Joe West is asking the Reds to leave the field. I guess maybe... As a form of security. Well, Joe West is not going back behind the, the catcher. So what is he doing? He, he wants to throw him out or what? He's not going to back away from confrontation. It's just not in his makeup. Who, which guy are we talking about backing away? Well, come to think of it, it's both guys. <laughs> Somebody's been tossed, and here comes Cox. It was Bobby Cox who threw the helmet out there. Off the umpire, oh. and that's a foul ball. Joe West gets drilled, and he appears none the worse for it. <laughs> He's a strong man. Nice. Now Joe's going to give him some argument because Mark's saying, "Why do you do?" Joe, just get over there and umpire, will you? Yeah. Just get over there and umpire. No. That's all. It's 5460. The Joe West Podcast. Here's Joe West and your host, Mike Claiborne. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another edition of 5460, the Joe West Podcast. I'm Mike Claiborne, and we have another special guest. And it seems like anytime we do this podcast, we find somebody who's unique, somebody who's made a difference in society and certainly in entertainment and sports. And I don't know if it, Joe West, if it gets any better than having the 14-time Grammy winner, Emmylou Harris with us today. Emmylou, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, I'm just delighted. Delighted to be here. You know, Mike, you, you're not going to believe how much of a baseball fan this lady is. She is so excited about the games and everything. The first time I met her was at a World Series. 
<laughs> Joe, you picked me and my brother up in your own personal vehicle uh, from the airport and took us to the hotel. It was, I mean, that was just a thrill for me. Well, so, Lou, how far do you guys go back? Well, that that's that World Series. That was the yeah. the Tigers and the the Giants. And the, the Giants. When the wasn't Giants beat very, Yeah, that it wasn't, wasn't very long. <laughs> wasn't very long. And uh, I I got uh, the introduction uh, to Joe through Dave Casper, who I've known for a long time through another mutual friend. It's just one of those things. Six degrees of separation. <laughs> That's right. We've had Dave on the show as well, so we 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 understand how that how that actually works. So Joe says you're a big baseball fan. How did you find your love for baseball? Whether you have this great career of music in front of you? Well, it happened through music. I I had a band in the early '90s um, called the Nash Ramblers, and my um, a musician uh, that was in that band, Sam Bush. He's a fantastic. Um, um, mandolinist and and fiddle player i was lucky to have him in my band and it turns out that he is a, a, a huge baseball fan has been all his life st louis cardinals and um very enthusiastic about baseball and um i always knew that my longtime uh, tour manager maple burn was a cubs fan and there was all this baseball talk <laughs> happening once they got on the bus together and it turned out that that particular year, I think it was 1990, wherever we played, when we had a day off, we somehow ended up in a city where there was a major league baseball game. So we would go to the games and I just sort of picked up on it, you know, and um, became inoculated, so to speak. Um, and I, I just couldn't get enough of it after that. And but I ended up being a Braves fan. That was the uh, games on TBS that I, I could get. Uh, I feel, at that point I didn't feel I had an, enough soul to be a Cubs fan. <laughs> <laughs> but but you had two guys in the band that fought each other because the Cardinals and the Cubs are big rivalry. You so. know they were. But what was great about it was that rivalry was more about the love of the game. So uh, it was everybody sort of honored each other's um, uh, loyalty to the team. And I think there's a lot of that in baseball. We, we just love the game. Well, they, you, you've been a supporter of, of the game for a long time. And I'm, I remember when Dave told me that you, were, you wanted to come to that World Series, uh, I said, uh, well, does she have a hotel? He said, no. I said, okay, we'll take care of that. Does she, does she have someone to pick her up there? No. Okay. So we'll take care of that. <laughs> anyway. And uh, the two guys that went with me to pick you up, uh, Bill Slayback, who's since passed away. I know. Fred, yes. Fred, Fred Rogers, they were in all the whole way back to the hotel. To the hotel. So, uh, and you, you befriended, you befriended Fred so much that it, uh, we, we started calling him your stalker. <laughs> <laughs> so, but uh, over, over the years, uh, I think the people listening to this podcast need to know that not only did you have 14 Grammys, you, you were inducted as a member of the country, uh, the Grand Ole Opry in 92. Now you're in the Country Music Hall of Fame in 2008. You've been given the Grammy Lifetime Achievement Award. And, uh, and you actually grew up in, what, North Carolina and, and Virginia? Well, my father was in the Marine Corps yeah. for 30 years. And so um, 
I was born in Birmingham. Uh, that's where my mother was from. And um, but when my father um, re-enlisted, you know, uh, after World War II and then the Korean War, um, uh, he re-enlisted or um, and we, we were in Cherry Point. We were in uh, Camp Lejeune and then really for about uh, eight to 10 years, I think, in Quantico. So I was, um, you know, near Washington, D.C. We actually went to a senator's game. I remember, on I think it was the 4th of July. It was a doubleheader in the blazing sun. And we were way out there. Um, uh, I remember it was um, uh, it, uh, Lemon. What was his name? The, the star player for the senators? Bob Lemon. Bob Lemon. Uh, we were, we were, we had a good eye view of his rear end. <laughs> we were way out there in the outfield and uh, we stayed for both games, but I was not a baseball fan then. We just did a lot of things as a family. And um, so, uh, yeah, it took me quite a few years to actually get the baseball bug. Well, well you know, you get the, I was going to ask you, how'd you get the music bug? Well, that happened when I was going to uh, high school there in Woodbridge, Virginia, um, when my father was stationed in Quantico. Uh, I guess 60, 64, uh, uh, something like that. Um, there was a big folk music revival happening. And my brother was a big music fan. He was mainly into uh, country music, but he loved uh, uh, the folk music uh, too. And um, so I heard Joan Baez and Bob Dylan and and so many other wonderful folk artists, old and new, um, on a radio station um, from uh, American, Universe, American University, WAMU, a fellow named Dick Seary would play folk music from um, 7 to 12 while I was doing my homework. I'd uh, sit there and listen to the music and, and I had sort of been told I was musical, but I didn't really get the music bug until I heard the folk music and um, got my first guitar um, and just learned three chords. And that's all I ever had to learn. <laughs> well, <certainly> well. <laughs> that's like Harlan, Harlan Howard said, country music is two chords in the truth. Oh, three chords, Joe. <laughs> I need that third chord, but I'm so glad you know that because Harlan was really, he was just the godfather of, so many wonderful country songs and, and quite a personality. Now he was into hockey. He actually took, uh, he would take uh, all of us songwriters to hockey games. I still haven't quite gotten that bug yet. Baseball <laughs> is my only love. I'm, I'm monogamous. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's really neat that uh, over the years, I mean, and I, I should tell the, the people listening to this, that your dad was a, a POW in the Korean war. Yes, he was. That had to be something to go through. That had to be miserable to go through and not know anything until. You know, was... I was I was five years old um, during that 16 months. Uh, he was shot down all, uh, very soon after he got there. And um, I, I think about how hard it was on my mother. She had me and my father and my brother was three and a half years older. He remembers more about it. Um, but, you know, it, she didn't really find out uh, until uh, the peace was declared. And he was one of the last prisoners released because he was, he was the senior officer in the camp uh, during that time. And of course he was tortured, um, but we were lucky. We came, he came back to us 
uh, whole in body and soul. And uh, so we were one of the really lucky families, military families. Yeah, and you, and you have to look back on this. I, I tell people all the time that we're lucky that we have the entertainment we do, and it's because of guys like your father who has who has fought and, and given his heart and soul for this whole country so that we can have these kind of things like yeah. you, you playing music and uh, yeah. me play, me in, on the baseball diamond and, and Mike announcing the game. So we're really lucky that we live in a country that's like that. And we, we're, should remember we're, it. we are blessed. We're absolutely blessed. Emmy Lou, you've done so much in your career, um, your music career. You've also been an activist to try and make sure there's a little bit more equality for women in the music industry. When you look back on your career, what are you most proud of? Because you've done so much. Oh, wow. That's a, that's a loaded question. I mean, mostly I feel like I've been really lucky because once I, I got some success because I, there were so many people on my side that supported me and helped me. And then once I had sort of a platform, you know, I was able to get involved in uh, uh, some things uh, outside of music. One of them was I met Bobby Muller, uh, who uh, started the Vietnam Veterans of America Foundation uh, through a, a, a friend, um, an early uh, fan of mine who became a big friend in the DC area when I was playing clubs to hardly anybody. <laughs> before I made it. And she had started working for Bobby Muller. Um, anyway, uh, she, she, she had said, is, would you like to get involved in this campaign to, you know, for the la landmine free world? Because uh, the Cambodia and Vietnam were just littered with landmines that were still causing deaths and, and great, great injury to the people over there uh, after peace was declared. And uh, I said, well, um, why don't we get some of my songwriter friends and do what uh, is um, sort of started in Nashville. It's called the In the Round, Songwriter in the Round. It started in a little club called the Bluebird where songwriters would, would just sit around and swap songs and sing, tell stories for a small audience. I said, why don't we just expand that you know, to a bigger stage. That way you don't have uh, the cost of bands and um, which can really eat away at any money that you might make for the cause that you were trying to um, um, work for. And uh, so uh, I suppose uh, I had something to do with that and we were able to uh, raise a lot of money, not only for awareness, but also for um, 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 help in these countries for prosthetics and rehabilitation for the devastation that had been caused over there. Um, and also my other big thing, I've talked to Joe about this. Uh, I, I have a little dog rescue in my backyard. <laughs> so I, it's kind of become my other job. Uh, and I it's called, it's been, called Bonaparte's retreat, isn't it? Yes. It's called Bonaparte's retreat that I started in 2004. <clears throat> Guys, it's time to bring that summer heat back into the bedroom. That's right. Confidence can take you far in life. It can also help you in the bedroom, especially when it comes time to step up to the plate. That's where Blue Chew comes in. Blue Chew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, but in a chewable tablet and at the fraction of a cost. 
You can take them anytime, day or night, so you can plan ahead and be ready whenever an opportunity arises. The process is simple. Sign up at BlueChew.com, consult with one of our licensed medical providers, and once you're approved, you'll receive a prescription within days. The best part? It's all done online, so no doctor's office visits, no awkward conversations, and no waiting in line at the pharmacy. Blue Chew's tablets are made in the United States and prepared and shipped direct to your door in a discreet package. They always say first impressions are important. What about lasting impressions? Yeah, it's time to get off the couch and back to work. If your tool needs an upgrade, you need BlueChew.com. Women say there's nothing sexier than confidence. And Blue Chew can help give you confidence where it counts. So if you can benefit from the extra confidence when it's time to perform, Blue Chew can help. And we've got a special deal for our listeners. Try Blue Chew free when you use our promo code Joe West at checkout. Just pay $5 for shipping. That's BlueChew.com. Promo code Joe West to receive your first month free. Visit BlueChew.com. For more details and important safety information, and we thank Blue Chew for sponsoring this podcast. And uh, and and you've been doing it. Uh, uh, Walter says you can't go by an animal and not say hello. <laughs> well, you can. Now, can you really have to see a dog in the street or in the airport or whatever? I said, can I pet him? <laughs> but um, yes, we we uh, pull. Um, a lot of the dogs that get uh, overlooked in the rescues, the bigger dogs, the older dogs, uh, for some reason, a lot of black dogs that don't show as well, uh, dogs that have medical issues. Um, and so we're very small. Um, it's in my backyard, but um, we've been doing that since 2004. And it really has been such a great blessing in my life to be able to help these animals because I come from a long line of animal lovers. My father was studying veterinary medicine at the University of Virginia when um, Pearl Harbor was attacked and that's when he just signed up for the Marine Corps and uh, and uh, my mother too, grandparents, aunts, uncles, were all kind of um, we're, we're into we're into the we're into the animals. <laughs> well, it's you know you were talking a little earlier about the um, the songwriters doing their their show in the round where where everybody sit around and bounce ideas off each other, and uh, I've seen a couple of those a couple of times I've been to Nashville, but I have to I have to tell you this story because I got it uh, from Tex Whitson, and Tex okay. you you remember Tex used to manage Merle. Merle right. Hager. Yes. Uh-huh. And, and I think you actually sang at his uh, presidential, was it Freedom Award ceremony, where it was him and Paul McCartney. You sang at that, didn't you? You know, I I, I hope that I did. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, I'm I'm trying to relive this in my mind because I remember you singing one of Merle's songs to him as he was sitting up there, and you saluted him and everything. But Tex said this. He said that Emmy Lou Harris is the most professional female vocalist that Merle ever worked with. And uh, coming from a guy that managed Merle Haggard, that, that's quite the compliment. That, that is quite a compliment. And, uh, but, so uh, he, he loved you to death. And, and, uh, and I've, I've got a great line that Willie Nelson said about you too, that uh, 
a lot of people don't understand, but it's, it's the cutest line I ever heard about, about you. And Willie Nelson said, there are two kinds of men in the world. Those who are in love with Emmy Lou Harris and those who haven't met her. <laughs> so, Well, you, I don't you know. May... I'm not going to be able to put my baseball cap on if my head gets any bigger. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I can send you an umpire's cap and that'll put you in your place. Oh, all right. <laughs> It's a deal. Emma Lou Harris is our guest. This is Joe West 5460 podcast. And Emma Lou, you, you've been in the business for so many years. What keeps you going these days? Uh, you still on the road quite a bit. So what keeps you going at this point in your career? Well, I, I, I do love music singing. I love working with my, my band and other musicians. Um, it's the love of music and, and songs that I, I still love to sing. Um, so that's, you know, that's the main thing, but also, um, you know, having a, a dog rescue is not a money-making um, <laughs> operation. So I still have those vet bills <laughs> that I have to pay for. Um, so, uh, so there's, there's a financial thing, but, you know, uh, sometimes our, my musicians, friends and I will reveal to each other that we'd probably do it for free because we love it so much. I mean, you have to, you have to love it. The shows themselves and playing the music on stage and, and being with your friends, playing music with your friends as Willie says, um, that's the good part. My friend Rodney Crowell says, we don't get paid to play. We get paid to travel because sometimes the travel gets very, um, convoluted. I mean, I almost didn't make it back from Toronto. Um, yesterday because somehow uh some uh, along the way uh one of the airlines had voided my ticket <laughs> mm -mm. Uh -oh. so we had to do a song we had to end up paying for the tickets again but at least we made the the flight um but most of the time uh, we're on the bus and the bus is is like a home on wheels you have your friends with you you have uh tv you can get the baseball games right you don't miss anything <laughs> Uh, yeah, I sleep really well on the bus um, because I have an itinerary. I know exactly what I have to do and where I have to be. And the shows are always a little bit different. I try to change them up. Um, and I have wonderful audiences that have stood by me from the very beginning. I've never had to have huge hits or, um, or play the, the stadiums or anything like that. I've always been able to make a living um, feeling like I'm doing exactly what I want to do and never having to compromise. So um, I've been very, very fortunate in my career. Yeah. And, but you have played the big stages because I remember when uh, Tex booked you in with Merle at, at the stadium in Anaheim. Oh, well, <laughs> and, uh, I, yeah, I that was the, that. the highest paid, the highest attendance paid attendance of any, musical show in the world at the time and it was it was really funny because <clears throat> i think i think the opening act was alabama oh that could have been yeah because and uh, they were just starting out they were just and, starting out yeah yeah and uh because tex told me the story about that he said they came to me and they said where's my dressing room and he said you're standing in it and <laughs> 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 And then they said something about they wanted their $2,500 because they weren't getting 
paid at the time. They hadn't had a hit yet. Right. And, and Tech said, I'm not going to give you $2,500. And they looked at him and they were about to get mad. He said, I'm going to give you five grand because we sold out here today. <laughs> so he doubled their pay. So I hope he doubled yours too. Oh, I don't know about that. But I did have a <laughs> wonderful experience, you know, at the World Series uh, out in Arizona uh, with Arizona and the and the Yankees. They had I had been playing someplace in California, and my manager, by the way, is a big Yankees fan. And we were out in California, and we got the call that they wanted me to sing "God Bless America" uh, at. Uh, I can't remember which game it was. It was in Arizona early on. It must have been the first or second game, right? Uh, yeah, it yeah. could be. Yeah. So, so uh, of course they had um, they had um, they, for um, for America the Beautiful. They had they booked Ray Charles, and um, I my dressing room, of course, was just the locker room. I shared that with Ray Charles and Ricky Henderson. <laughs> That's one of the <laughs> most, uh, if you had to put a frame around a particular day in your life, you know, plus it was a great game. And um, I, I sang uh, God Bless America, but when they wheeled out that grand piano and Ray Charles sang America the Beautiful, I mean, that, that was something else. This episode is brought to you by Car Shield who makes it easy and affordable to protect my car from expensive repairs. And that's just for starters. CarShield is the number one auto protection company in the U.S. and offers protection plans for around 100 bucks a month. The plans cover more parts than ever before, whether your car has 5,000 miles or 150,000 miles. Let me tell you how simple it is to get your car fixed. When you need a repair, you choose the mechanic. And CarShield's administrators handle all the rest. That's it. You don't have to deal with the paperwork or the headaches you're taken care of. The same goes if your car breaks down and you're stuck on the side of the road. Plans through CarShield also include coast-to-coast -coast roadside assistance. CarShield administrators are there for you with rental car options and trip reimbursement at no extra cost. Get coverage today and you'll lock up your price now and it will never go up. That means as long as you own your car, no matter how old it is, you're protected from the rising cost of parts and repairs for your vehicle. CarShield helps protect my wallet from expensive car repairs, and they'll do the same for you. Go to carshield.com slash podcast to start your plan and lock in your pricing forever. That's carshield.com slash podcast. A deductible may apply. For you, you've had so many people that have been excited to work with you. Who have you gotten the biggest kick out of working with? Because you, you've had the opportunity to work with so many people. But was there any uh, one person in particular? There's not one person. I it, The list is so long. When I think when I was sitting in my little bedroom in Garfield Estates in Woodbridge, Virginia, you know, learning three chords uh, on this little $30 guitar that I would actually get to work with Neil Young you know, and Elvis Costello and Merle Haggard and um, the Dolly Parton and Linda Ronstadt. And I mean, the I, I, there's just too many people to, to name besides uh, just the wonderful musicians that I've been able to have in my band, like Sam Bush, extraordinary uh, musicians. Uh, it, it, it's, I could have never, ever imagined that 
as a 16 year old back then. So um, it, it, when I think about it, it's almost like I'm looking uh, down on somebody else and it's not me. <laughs> <laughs> well, but, but you, you made a and reputation for yourself. You, oh, I you didn't were... mention, did I mention Bob Dylan and Joe? Yes, Baez? you did early. Yes, I did. Yeah. <laughs> but I got to work with him too. And I would have never imagined that. Yeah. But uh, looking back on, on everything you've done and you, you talk about the, the your, your, first team that you really followed close was the Braves and everything. I'm still I, following them. I'm I'm thinking that you, you probably, you were probably watching them when Dale Murphy and Bob Horner and Chambliss were playing together in the early, what was that? No, early I, didn't, no I didn't become a fan until the early nineties. Oh, okay. So I missed so much. I, I'm so sorry that I missed all those decades when I, I uh, didn't realize uh, the beauty of the game. Yeah, what do but you like about the game? What, what makes you happy about the game? Well, I like the fact that it's slow. <laughs> I wish they'd stop trying to speed it up. It's not going to happen. I mean, uh, I have to say, I really do not like the ghost, uh, the ghost runner um, that they've instituted. I, I was hoping that would be just a temporary thing, you know, during the pandemic. I don't want to get, am I getting into the weeds here? No, no, you're fine. No, no, that's there's there's a lot of people that are against it. They think it takes away from the integrity of the game of the past. So yes, I I, be I believe it does. I know they have to be. There's changes that probably had other, you know, the the the, the height of the pitching mound and all that stuff. And I, I don't know, but that that just seems like, it seems like every every man that gets on base should earn it. You know. Well, that's a good point. And it's a very valid point. I think sometimes that they're playing the game today more for their pocketbook than they are to try to win a game. So I, I think you're, you have a valid point. So don't feel bad about saying that. Oh, I don't uh, feel bad. I just, yeah. but um, going back to, you know, baseball has, has three strikes for every hitter. And when you did the, uh, the album, uh, the trio with Linda Ronstadt and Dolly Parton. Right. Those are, those are, I mean, y'all were three of the greatest female vocalists that there ever was. How did, well, how was that to make that? That had to be fun. Oh, it, it was so much fun. Well, I, I got to know Linda early on in my career. Uh, I was um, singing with a fellow named Graham Parsons, who really is the one that brought me into country music. I was more of a folky. And um, yeah, that was another thing, you know, that uh, kind of a, a, I became a convert to baseball. I became a convert <laughs> to country music. Um, and uh, I was on the road with Graham and uh, Linda happened to be uh, opening for Neil Young playing in the, uh, in Houston, I think we were. And they came to our, we were doing two shows a night in a small club and they were, uh, so the timing was they were able to come and see us. and. Linda and I um, were, um, you know, we're two girl singers, you know, there weren't a whole lot of us out there. And uh, the first thing we said to each other was, you know, who's your, who's your favorite girl singer? And we both said it was Dolly. So, um, and then because I recorded uh, one of Dolly's songs on my first album, when I first went to Nashville, um, 
or for some kind of promotion thing, they set up a meeting between uh, me and Dolly. And then eventually we all got together in L.A. Uh, when I was living there and Linda was living there, Dolly came. And uh, so what did we do? Of course, we picked up a guitar and we, we said, let's sing something. And I and of course, the sound was like something we, we could never have imagined. But you know what the, the best part of it was? Just hanging out together. You know, Dolly cracks me up. You know, she is so funny. <laughs> that well, woman really has a wit on her, you know. Oh, yeah. And she and she makes herself the brother of the joke sometimes. She's, well, she, what, what, she figured what was out. She, she, yeah. said, uh, she said, you got to spend an awful lot of money to look this cheap. I know. I know. <laughs> Dolly really... Uh, and she's been a great humanitarian, you know. She's uh, oh, yeah. uh, donated so much money for the, the vaccine during the pandemic. And then, of course, Dollywood, what she's done for that area of the country. She, she's she got the whole, that whole area of the country basically on her back, the way that she's uh, uh, brought that to life. You know, her reading, Rainbow. Um, uh, and then we had, there was a terrible fire. And uh, I mean, she's just been there for her community, for her people. She has been there. And um, so there's just so many things to say about Dolly. And of course, Linda has been a great friend to me. Um, she was a great supporter of mine early on when things were looking pretty bleak and has remained a very loyal friend all these years. So, and then we got to make music together. So it doesn't get much better than that. Well, wow, that's, that's that's the truth, and it's such a such a great thing to see all three of you together. You had a another uh, guy you worked with that uh, was at uh, Towns Van Sant. He had a song called uh, "Poncho and Lefty." Oh yes, Poncho and Lefty. And just for the record, speaking of the record, I did record that song before Willie and Merle. Well, I was going to make that statement for you, but this, oh, since you said you. it, so, <laughs> and and in fact. I think uh, when Haggard introduced it in one of his shows, he said, uh, "He said Willie said we've got to record this Emmy Lou Harris song." And oh Amy, wow! Well, <laughs> he did say that, so he he gave you credit for it. So. Yeah. God <laughs> but, bless Willie. But that yeah. that was, uh, and the coolest thing about that was uh, you sang the the whole thing. Of course, Willie and Merle made it. I, I guess. A, a yeah, duet, they, you would call it. But, duet. Uh, yeah, they they took different parts of it. Yeah, but, um, yeah. Towns, I met Towns uh, in in New York when I was a struggling folk singer, uh, and um, I was opening for everybody at a club called Gertie's Folk City, there in the village. And um, yeah, Towns was an extraordinary writer, a real American poet. Uh, nobody wrote lyrics like that. And of course, he I always felt he was sort of channeling the ghost of Hank Williams. There's something in his voice and in his whole, whole presence. And tragically, he died young, too. Um, but he left us a, a great body of music and songs. Yeah, well, it's it's really funny. And the first time I heard uh, Merle introduce that song, I, I laughed and I said, yeah, I remember Emmy Lou singing that before they did. <laughs> of course. <laughs> and that and that happens. You know, it's, it's funny. Over the course of years uh, with the... Uh, in, in the old days, I would say, uh, when there was a good song, almost every older artist would sing it. And unless it was something like, he'll have to go or, uh, but take for instance, uh, Patsy Cline's rendition of Crazy. Yeah. Uh, 
Willie Nelson wrote crazy and Willie sang it. Yeah. Well, he was basically a songwriter back then, you know? Yeah. Uh, and so, and what you were doing, you were hoping that somebody like Patsy Cline, yeah. cause that's how you made your money, you know? And then of course he became uh, such an uh, iconic performer himself. Um, but uh, not every great songwriter uh, goes on to, um, you know, become a performer or can be a performer. That's why, you know, we really have to figure out a way to pay the songwriters. Uh, right now, it's it's very muddy waters. <laughs> yeah, uh, and they uh, and they have they haven't really taken care of it because uh, with the internet and everything and downloading stuff. Uh, the, the writer, the writer, and the publisher aren't getting credit for it. They, they really, <laughs> they've got to figure something out because <clears throat> pretty soon we're not going to have any real good songs, as I say. Because <clears throat> most of my friends who are songwriters are also performers, like Rodney Crowell, of course, the great guy Clark, uh, and so as long as you can uh, get up on stage and 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 do a show, you you can make a pretty decent living. Um, but the, the songwriters need to get paid. I mean, I've been an interpreter most of my life, um, and um, I occasionally uh, write some songs because I just had to. You know, sometimes there's something you have to say, but I never had to just depend on royalties from my songs. Otherwise, I would have gone back to being a bad waitress. <laughs> <laughs> Joe, you know what? There's a lot of great things about people who drink coffee, but guess what? We found something that will soothe everybody's palate when it comes to having a good cup of coffee. Yeah, this new company that's helping us sponsor this podcast is called Trade Coffee, and they design the coffee to your individual taste. I can remember traveling across the country doing umpiring all over the country, and the coffee's different everywhere you go. The coffee in Seattle is different than the coffee in Atlanta. And I, I think the good thing about this is trade coffee makes your coffee so that you like it. And it's like your choice in, of how you want it to taste. And, you know, one of the things I noticed about trade coffee is the fact that they've tested over 450 roasts. So they know exactly what they can recommend for you. And that's something I don't think anybody else has even thought about. A, 450 different tests and B, you can have something that fits what you like compared to what you're being poured because somebody else likes it. Look, they've delivered over 5 million bags of fresh coffee with more than 750,000 positive reviews. You can't do any better than that. Hey, how about the fact that you just said deliver? Trade coffee can be delivered to you instead of you having to go out and search for it. And I think that really solves a lot of problems for people because in some cities, you may be able to find a certain coffee. In other cities, you can't. But with Trade Coffee, all you have to do is get it delivered to you and you're set. Right now, Trade is offering new subscribers a total of $30 off your first order plus free shipping when you go to drinktrade.com slash Joe West. That's more than 40 cups of coffee for free. And you can get started by taking their quiz at drinktrade.com slash Joe West. And then they'll let Trade Coffee find the coffee that you'll love. That's drinktrade.com slash Joe West for $30 off. How about that? Trade Coffee, everybody. You'll love it. But, you know, so that so that the people listening to this will understand, um, the songwriter and the publisher 
or paid the royalties on a song that's played on the radio and played on the air. Tell right. tell our audience how that how that works so that they can understand it. Because I don't I'm, un I don't understand it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you get you you do get so much for a television broadcast. You get so much yeah. for a movie broadcast, and yeah. every time and it's every played time on every time it's played on the radio. Right, right. But with streaming, apparently. It's just free. You just get it, and and, yeah, and uh, that's not and that's not fair. And it, it's it's not fair. And of course, the artist should get paid too. But um, I I don't know where we are. Um, but I, I know that there are some uh, some musicians, songwriters, and performers who are working very hard. Uh, you know, lobbying uh, the legislatures to just make sure that you know it, it's hard work to write a song. I mean, that's why I don't do it very much. <laughs> yeah well and you know what's really funny you you remember uh merle's merle's band with jimmy belkin and and tiny moore and those guys oh and, tiny moore uh, yes. what a what a peach of a guy he was with yeah but merle merle would go to to belkin the other fiddle player and ask him to write the charts because jimmy was a concert uh violinist he and he he could write the charts for the whole orchestra if they were going to play with an orchestra. He and Don Markham both. And the funny story was Merle had had a song, this one song, and he said, Jimmy, I want you to listen to this. And he started singing it, and he said, it's midnight in a liquor store in Texas. Wow. Beneath the neon close-ups just begun. Now, those lyrics herself are just, I mean, Right, they're beautiful, it's, right? Right, it's like the start of a a a, a movie or a, or a short story. Yeah, right. It's well, so J you know. Jimmy stopped him. He said, "That's not going to work, Merle." And Merle said, "Why is that?" He said, "Because the liquor stores close at nine o'clock in Texas." Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, and it's like you said, you travel on the bus and you bounce ideas off each other and. And it's it's so cute that uh, that you can come up with things like that. And uh, what was the what was the song that Waylon had? Good hearted woman. Yeah. And he said it wasn't finished. And he and he went to Willie and he said uh, he said I need a line here. I, I'm just not quite getting it. And uh, so Willie gave him through teardrops and laughter will pass through this world hand in hand. And Waylon said, if you give me that, I'll give you half the song. <laughs> <laughs> well, so. you know, that's true. There, there are times when, you know, if somebody has really done that for the song, it doesn't have to be just, uh, you have to write exactly 50% or you write the melody and I'll write the lyrics. I mean, there are all kinds of ways to uh, collaborate on a song. And uh, that's just as important if you come up with that one line that makes it work. But, you know, they should all get paid. <laughs> Pay the song. You know, a friend of mine, um, a wonderful songwriter in Nashville, Gary Nicholson, uh, he wrote a song uh, called Pay, Pay Bo Diddley. <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, a lot of these artists before, I mean, talk about getting the shaft. I mean, yes, songwriters now need to get paid. But before artists, they, they got very little. They depended completely you know, on live performances. And uh, so we've come a long way, but we we still have to make sure that the people who come up with this this um, 
what do they call it? Intellectual property. Yeah. They yeah. have to get paid so that we can keep uh, getting the good songs. Yeah. Well, you did, um, you did a song called uh, Two More Bottles of Wine. Oh, yeah, Delbert. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about that one. That's a cute song. Well, you know, I mean, Delbert had the great version of it, but I guess he was, I mean, I knew about him. A lot of people knew about him, but he wasn't, you know, a mainstream artist, uh, but he was a, a, a real workman, you know, out there. And uh, I'm not sure how many albums he had out. I had a couple of his albums and uh, uh, that song, uh, I was aware of it. And of course, my thing is I would just sing nothing but slow, sad ballads all the time. But, you know, you have to give the people something up-tempo once in a while. <laughs> and so I was always looking for songs that, you know, could go alongside the really sad, sad ballads uh, to, to make the uh, record work and to make your show work, you know. Um, <clears throat> and that was, I thought that we just threw that out at a, at a recording session. Um, and uh, I had no idea it was going to become such, you know, it came one of my hits. I didn't have a lot of them, country hits. Um, but... Um, but that that was one of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it was it was a great song. I remember when when you were coming to Detroit for that World Series, that uh, the whole front office of Detroit. When I told them you were going to be there, they said two more bottles of wine. We got to meet her. <laughs> so they were all excited about that. They thought that was great. I love them drinking songs. The irony <laughs> is is that I hardly drink. <laughs> Alcohol doesn't sit well with me, so. Well, but you know, so so I, so that was a fiction. You know, I I I I imagined myself <laughs> that song. <laughs> hey, well, that's, go ahead, Joe. That's all right. Mike and I drink enough for both of us. Yeah, all right. we, we have that corner. <laughs> Don't worry about it. We, we have your share. Thanks. Hey, Emily, for you, you you you're a baseball fan. You, you took it up uh, in the '90s. Do you have any favorite players you've had a chance to really appreciate and what they do on the field? Oh gosh. Well, uh, there's, once again, it's like, like the artist, there's so many, um, of course we, we appreciate Chipper Jones. I, I love a player that, that stays, can stay with a team the whole time. It, it does bother me every year when I don't know what my team's going to look like, you know, <laughs> players. and of course I, I still feel really sad that, that the Braves, you know, uh, traded, traded Freddie. Uh, Mark Olson is great. He's doing great. But I, I just felt that he came up from the, you know, from the ranks. He was all those years and uh, thank, thankfully won the World Series. So uh, Freddie, but I, I, I love the players now. I, 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 was, I love Ozzy Albies and um, I, the, the team right now is, is doing great. Um, I will say that I, I I'm, not a Yankees fan, but I always admired Derek Jeter. And one of my own personal dogs is named Jeter <laughs> because it's such a great dog name. And I say that because it's an honor because I had, I've had dogs named after me. I've had a, a racehorse named after me. 
I've had a boat named after me, and I've had Johnny Cash uh, named an emu after me. Wow. Yes. Yeah. So so when I named my dog Jeter, it was a, a, a badge of honor. Oh, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> we, Emmy Lou, we had an umpire one time named Harry Wendelstedt. Oh, I know of him. And uh, he wanted a fishing boat for Christmas. So he told his wife, Cheryl, that he wanted a fishing boat. She said, well, you don't need a fishing boat, but I need a mink stole. He said, you need a mink stole. We live in Florida. Where are you going to wear a mink stole? <laughs> and Cheryl said, well, a mink stole is a sign that you've arrived. <laughs> and so Harry compromised. He bought a fishing boat for himself for Christmas, and he named it Cheryl's Mink. All right. <laughs> <laughs> How is that marriage? Well, they, they're not married anymore. <laughs> so. There you go. Joe, I got to tell you, it's great to have the workout anytime on board 5460 as one of our sponsors. Many of our listeners already know that workout anytime as their hometown club where they can work out on their schedule 24-7. Others might be aware that workout anytime is a great business opportunity as well. That's right, Mike. Workout Anytime is one of the top 200 fastest growing franchises in the country. And they've been at this for more than 20 years. And they're currently in 22 different states. And they're internationally in Honduras and Costa Rica. How about that? You know what? Opening up a gym is becoming a real big part. How about $30 billion in health and fitness industry is what you're talking about this year. Never has it been any easier to invest in Workout Anytime franchise. Joe, you know you and I or one in five American adults that have a fitness membership? Yeah, I did know that. As a matter of fact, and I'm told that number is expected to nearly double in the next 10 years. I know these folks that work out anytime, and I have known them for a long time. They're so passionate about the industry, and their franchises rave about the support that they give the company. Well, here's a great business tip. Go to WorkoutAnytimeFranchise.com and learn more. And while you're there, you can see the map of available locations and find out how you can arrange an initial phone conversation to hear more about the proven Workout Anytime business model. That's WorkoutAnytimeFranchise.com. But when you, when you get nicknames and everything like that, that's, that's kind of cool. You know, uh, the, uh, uh, it's, it's kind of funny. You look back on everything and, uh, how did, how did Tex get his nickname? Well, he's from Texas, you know, and right. how did, uh, so-and-so get this nickname and that and so on and so on. But it's, it's really funny. I mean, they, they gave me the nickname cowboy and, uh, I'm, I'm more like a plow horse than I am a cowboy. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not a cowgirl. I just play one. There you go. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. And, and you know what? It's, uh, it's awesome that we could get you on here to talk because uh, I know that you, your love of baseball is uh, is something that you acquired by being with your friends on the bus. And and uh, I think a lot of people don't understand that uh, you have uh, your trials and tribulations getting to and from, which you've already mentioned about having to get from Toronto back home and stuff. And the, the players have that a little bit. The umpires have it a lot because there's only four of us at a time. And uh, travel. 
yeah, the travel just, it, it does, it beats you up and, uh, it's, it's really something, uh, and, uh, to tell you a funny story about songwriting and stuff, you know, when, when Willie wrote that song crazy and they gave it to Patsy Cline to record, uh, Willie was playing bass for Ray Price. Ray Price. Yeah. And, uh, when the song hit, when Patsy's rendition hit, uh, somebody called Willie and told him he had a residual check for the, for the song crazy. And, uh, so he said, how much is it now when you're touring on the road and you're a musician in the band, uh, you're like, uh, you're like the shortstop or an offensive football lineman. You're, you're not the quote star of the show. Ray Price was the star of the show. So they, they were living two and three to a room to make ends meet so they could tour. Right. So, Willie gets this call and says that uh, uh, that that song that Patsy Cline cut that you wrote, that you got a residual check for it. And he said, well, how much is it? And they said a quarter of a million dollars. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, he turned to his roommate and he says, uh, tell Ray I'll be at the Ritz. <laughs> he, he got up and left his room. So, uh, so there is there is money when it's played on the radio. There is money when it's played. Well, it used to be. Yeah, if you yeah. you could, uh, uh, you could have one big hit, and and that could be it, and you could live very well the rest of your life. I mean, really, if you, uh, you know, uh, I'm trying to think of the the there's there's been examples of people that blew it completely. <laughs> you know. Um, you know, how fast they went through it, but you know, it, it, you need that one big hit, but um, I, that it's not like that anymore. Well, do you, do you notice things like um, when you, when you hear a song, I've heard you say this before that you listen to the lyrics yeah, and you, you pay attention to the lyrics more than anything else. Like, uh, cause this one day I was, uh, I was talking to Mickey Gilly and uh, the the movie Urban Cowboy had come out, and uh, and I asked him why he didn't take the song "Looking for Love" because I knew he had first pick of all the songs that were in the movie. And he said, "I just didn't like it." And I'm thinking to myself, "Have you lost your mind? This song was like it was written for this movie." <laughs> and uh, and I didn't think anything about it. And then two weeks later, I'm in San Francisco playing golf with Don Markham, Merle's. Uh, horn player you know he played trumpet and saxophone for for Merle and Merle told me at lunch I mean uh, Don told me at lunch he said you know I've been touring with Haggard for 30 years I don't think I could sing one of his songs he said I don't think I know the words to any one of his songs and I said how could how could that be he said because I listen where I'm supposed to come in I'm a musician I don't I don't listen to the words. I, I, I can play any song he's got and I know where I'm supposed to come in or where somebody else is supposed to come in, but I couldn't, I don't think I could tell you the words to one song. So the light went on in my head thinking <clears throat> that's exactly what happened to Gilly because Gilly was a piano player. And if you go play looking for love, there's not a piano lick in the whole song. <laughs> and uh, I mean, but that's what happened. And well, and, it it everybody has a different barometer. Oh yeah, uh, I understand. Uh, because I mean, I know that uh, 
there's songs that that ended up being hits for other people that I think I had first crack at and and I passed but in my in my uh case later on uh I I realized that there was something wonderful about that song and I wish I had recorded it but at that particular point in my life it it didn't resonate for me you know so um but that's just that's just the way it goes. I mean, we can't be affected by everything, or we would implode. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's no doubt. Hey, true. well, Emmerlou, we are out of time for today. This has been a blast to have a chance to visit with you, and uh, you've just been a, a fa I've been a fan of yours for so many years, and to have a chance <laughs> to listen to you talk about your career and knowing that you're a baseball fan uh, has made my day, and I'm sure it's going to make our listeners' day as well. Well, thank you so much. I love talking about baseball. Nobody in my band is a is a baseball fan, uh, but but I Maple Burn, my the the longtime Cubs fan, is is still with me. <laughs> so, um, you know, we we can chat about it sometimes. But uh, they know that they better we better when we get the bus, we better have the baseball package. Well, <laughs> good point. And and we and we still live by what what Willie said about you that there are two kinds of men in the world, those who love Emmy Lou Harris and those who haven't met her. So we, <laughs> we love you. Thanks for being with us. All right. Thank you so much, Joe. Thank you, Mike. Thanks. All right. You take care. For right. Emmy Lou Harris and Joe West, I'm Mike Claiborne. We thank you for listening to another edition of 5460, the Joe West Podcast. Have a great day, everyone. My baby took me to the ballpark to see a baseball game Lord, it had to be at least 99 in the shade I was stealing a glance at some tight short pants Just as I turned my head My baby grabbed me by the arm and this is what she said If you cheat on me, you'll be out at home if I catch you playing the field, you're gonna be long gone You better play it safe and don't do me wrong Cause if you cheat on me, you'll be out at home You've been listening to 5460, the Joe West Podcast, here on the Podcast Heat Network. Make sure to subscribe and don't miss an episode each and every Monday. We'll talk to you next week. She's checking all the signs While I'm enjoying two of the great American pastimes It's fouling up my nerve Watching all these curves Remembering what she said to me And if I get caught looking It's gonna be strike three If you cheat on me You'll be out at home If I catch you playing the field You're gonna be long gone Better play it safe and don't do me wrong. Cause if you cheat on me, well, you'll be out at home. If you cheat on me, you'll be out at home. If I catch you playing the field, you're gonna be long gone. You better play it safe and don't do me wrong. Cause if you cheat on me, well, you'll be out at home If you cheat on me You'll be out at home